0: Cloudy day down a long stretch of highway i know this day is gonna be my friend long as i'm here baby in the flat, lanes, Mississippi, flat lanes. welcome to the only one shot golf podcast my name is jim gallagher I'll be your host today, and I have been, uh, since we started these podcasts, appreciate you listening. We Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. A special thanks goes out to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music, and you can find Steve at steveazar.com. Don't forget to get your copy of Only One Shot. That's available at Amazon, written by B.J. Trolio. Well, we've uh, promised you a daily diary from the masters here, the 86 masters, and today, uh, uh, this podcast is based on Friday's round, round two at Augusta, which was a completely different day than it was in round uh, one. Uh, guys that got off early, got off to a decent start, got some decent weather, but about 11 o'clock, the wind started picking up an entirely different golf course that really, really firmed up. I got the bite back into it, had some good winds up to 30 mile an hour, guest, uh, sustained 15, 20. And I actually walked out at, uh, right after our show that ended at 12, and I was astonished at how hard it was blowing and just how tough it was out there. You truly forget when you haven't been on the property in 12 years how hilly it is and, and how the wind blows through the tr- trees. And it was just so... Uh, I was glad I wasn't playing, uh, to be honest, because it was just such a tough golf course and a big challenge. And we didn't see many under par rounds. I think it's 12, 13 uh, players in the red. But Scotty Scheffler playing like world number one. Phenomenal round today. Shane Lowry had a nice day. Schwarzel had a nice day. Uh, Sung J.M. is a couple over today. But he's hanging in there. Neiman hung in there. So Tiger Woods, that was the big story. How did Tiger do? Uh, And he shot two over after being over par uh, quite a bit over several bogeys early on and fought it back, uh, struggled a little bit. I don't think he had a fairway till 7, but he does this. Tiger always does, and it lives up to his name, and and, and he was tough out there today. But good to see him make the cut. He's tied for 19th and, uh, you know, still in the movie. Uh, no, not out of it by any means, and and watch out for him. It's just going to be hard tomorrow, uh, which will be round three, and, and we're doing this uh, today on Friday. And it's Saturday's round is going to be tough because – same kind of wind, same direction, but it's going to be really cold. It's going to be the low of 37, maybe the high of 50. So tough days uh, ahead, and uh, we'll keep you updated in our podcast tomorrow uh, and, and recap uh, what happens in day three. But let's go back to day two uh, at Golf Central live from a really cool day today. We had a couple really great guests, and uh, I'd like to kind of recap that. and go through some of the questions i had with the first one two-time winner uh tom watson came in my captain from the 93 uh rider cap and he he came in today and, and shared spent some time with us. it was great and, and and i asked him the first question you know these guys are faced with you know some serious wind today and 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 I always felt like you tom were one of the best uh wind players and you never fought it and and you had to make adjustments I and mean, what advice do you have for the people listening and and out there or, or just for these guys to the, how they make adjustments how were what were some of your keys uh to make those adjustments when it comes especially around here where the wind swirls so much and it was interesting to hear his answer and, and how he dealt with it and, and and he made a great statement that Augusta National was one of the most difficult courses to judge the wind and he was talking about where our set is and it's behind the practice area on the left side and he said you know guys we're up here on this top of this hill and the wind blowing out of the west is pretty consistent. That's the you know prevailing wind. We, we know what it's doing up here. There aren't trees where it swirls. He said, but then all of a sudden you get down an amen corner and down at the bottom of the golf course and it barrels down through there and starts to swirl. Uh, and he says, you know, you'll walk down there. And he said, it's happened to him at 14. You feel like... You know, it's going one direction and, and 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 you're coming, you know, in the same basic direction on 17. It's going out of the other direction, but you're going, the golf holes go the same direction. He said, it was just so hard. But he said the toughest one, he said, and the most important hole to him was the 12th. And Jack Nicklaus talked to that, that was one of his six holes uh, when we spoke to him uh, uh, on Thursday. And he said, you know, everybody knows how, you know, how famous the hole is and everything. But he said, Ben Hogan told him, and this was interesting uh, to hear him say that he waited until the flag on 11 and 12 were going in the same direction. This doesn't happen very often. And they should because they're basically going and designed in the same direction, maybe slightly right on 12. But he said he, he waited there, and that's when Hogan would pick the club. Uh, he, 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 you know, The last thing you want to do is, is sit there and not commit to it. But he said the thing he always did is just before – or when he picked the club, he had to go with the wind direction that he felt that it was going in that direction and trust that. He said that was the key. And he said, you know, 12th is the key hole. And he said it proved it that your Tiger won. And uh, he said all four of those guys are up there tied for the lead or, or up there leading. He said they all hit it in the water, and they all made double. Uh, he said, you know, it, the key is to get it over the bunker, even over the green, make four. That's not a big deal, but making five, making six, your chances are are over if you do that. And I thought that was a, a really some great advice. And um, next question we asked, you know, we talked to Jack Nicholas, and you know, I asked Jack on on Thursday what separates that elite player, and Jack said preparation. And uh, I kind of asked, you know, Tom, you know, you know. These guys are, you know, preparing for different conditions in the beginning of the week. You know, what was your prep coming into Augusta, and and you know why are you know you see a lot of these past champions having success? Uh, but what was yours like? And uh, it's interesting to hear him say, uh, you know, Jack said he, he played four rounds and kept score the week before. Tom said he would prepare about a month in advance and try to hit snap hooks controlled snap hooks and I thought wow that's interesting you know he kind of hit a little bit more of a fade and it was more comfortable hitting that and he said but there's two drives on this co- this golf course that a controlled snap hook works he said that's 10 and 13 and he said what he would do if he would go home and practice because he wasn't a real great shaper as he said from right to left it was a lot more comfortable going uh, to the right left to right so he would practice that at home a month before and, um, you know, that was how he prepared for Augusta. And he said another thing is he saw yesterday in, in round one is a lot of balls coming up short on the greens. And we all noticed that the greens weren't as fast as we normally see it. They were softer because of the overnight rain. And then that made a huge difference. But uh, he said, like, at 14, we'd see guys aim at 30, 40 feet, thinking they are going to come back, but they didn't. But balls would land by the hole and stay there, he said. So you saw that, he said, but this is at about, I think we had him in there about 9, 9.30. He said this golf course is going to firm up, the wind's going to blow and play completely different. Boy, was he right because it was not the same uh, as it was at the, when we were first doing that. So uh, he was dead on that, and, and, and it really, really uh, was accurate. And that's why these guys are so good. That's why these champions and past champions are so good. They, they understand that. They see what's going on. They think their way. It's almost like they're programmed uh, to get that done. Next thing we talked about was Rory in his quest for the Grand Slam, the career Grand Slam, and how he dealt with pressure and how, you know, I asked him, I said, how did you deal with pressure when you wanted something so badly? Uh, Because you were in this same situation. And he said, Jimmy, you forget about the Grand Slam. And I thought, hmm. And he paused and he said, unless it's the U.S. Open. And that's the one I wanted to win the most. And, and that's what he said. He said he wanted to win it badly because of his dad. And that's the tournament he wanted the most. And he said he played under the most pressure uh, at, that, at the U.S. Open or the National Open because it's the tournament he wanted to win the most. And he felt that pressure. So it, and, and he kind of followed it up with saying, you know, listen, we play as professional golfers under pressure all the time. That's normal. Maybe a little bit more in the majors. But there's a level of pressure, three levels of pressure. He said, there's an upper level when you have it there and you can't even, you're suffocating yourself. Rigor Morris kicks in. You can't play because there's so much pressure. He said, but then there's the reverse of that at the bottom. There's a bottom level. He said, like he would hit a great shot and then all of a sudden he'd start relaxing. And the next thing he did is he wasn't focused and he'd hit a stupid shot. And he said, if I didn't keep up my intensity, all of a sudden I would relax and I would get in trouble. So he said, there's a top level, the bottom. and you know, obviously, you want to stay in the middle. Uh, and, and, he, and it was interesting. He said, You know, we all play under pressure and we're all nervous and there's different levels of it. But he said, uh, I hear these players say, Oh, they're not nervous. And that's not right. They're nervous uh, and they're just trying to pretend they're not. Uh, and I asked him, You know, you mentioned nerves. How'd you deal with nerves early on? Because you struggled. You lost some tournaments because of, you know, maybe nerves. I mean, how'd you deal with it? And Tom said, you know, he felt like he learned and he had to learn how to win first, how to deal with the pressure and then learn how to win because he failed a lot. And he said, hey, I failed a bunch. And he said, the one thing about failing is I hated to fail. So he'd go to the practice you know, area and he'd hit balls and hit balls and hit balls until he trusted his golf swing. And he said, I really couldn't deal with nerves until I truly trusted my golf swing. And he said, if you don't trust your golf swing, You know, all of a sudden the wheels start turning, and you're waiting for a bad shot to hit. And all of a sudden you hit. You're waiting for when you hit a bad shot at the wrong time. Uh, He said, and he said he finally developed the trust in his golf swing late in 1976. He said that's when he really truly started trusting his golf swing, and that's when he learned to trust and play uh, under the pressure. And um, that's when he played some of his best golf after that. And and he deal with the golf. And the pressure at the same time, but you had to really trust your golf swing. And I thought that was great uh, advice. And you know, the next question I asked was, "There a moment, you know, here at Augusta, there's so many that sticks out to you." And he goes, "Yeah, the moment I won both my Masters, you know, they stand out." He said, "But also the ones that I lost and I failed, like when he hit his ball left uh, in the trees at eighteen when, when Player won. or when he hit it in the right when Ian Woosnam won." He said, you know, he had a lot of good chances to win the tournament. uh, And it kind of boiled down to that 18th hole. That's the one that always got me. He said, but I got to tell you a story. Uh, He said, I don't remember the year, but one of the tournaments, I finished six shots behind. And in four rounds, this is how I played the 15th hole. Two times I had an eight iron in and two. Once a five iron. And the other time I drove it right and had to chip it out. He said, I played the hole in eight, seven, six, five. And I went, Wow. And Mark Roffing chimed in and said, "Well, if you'd had four more rounds, you'd have been in great shape." And we all kind of busted out laughing. It was quite the moment, uh, and it was great to have Tom in there, and and we had a nice visit with Tom, and and, and like I said, I spent twenty minutes with him, and 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 not long after that, Raymond Floyd came in, who was on my Ryder Cup team in '93 when when Tom was captain. And man, I'm just telling you, this has been such a fun week for me. First, Jack Nicklaus, then Tom Watson, Raymond Floyd. we got a special guest for uh, Saturday's show, and you'll have to tune in uh, tomorrow on the podcast to find out or on Golf Central live from uh, we're on, I believe, from 9 to 12 of my shows uh, in the morning on Eastern time, and they go uh, another show to 3. So check out somewhere in there. You'll you get to see uh, a special guest, a former champion, here at the augusta and and a multi-champion so you you'll you'll love this next guest and our and how we talk uh, and, and catch up with him but back to raymond um you know i asked him i said you know how did the relationship with fred couples uh you and i were on the same team raymond and and you were always an inspiration to me but and you were a big part of Freddie couples in his career but when did that kind of take place and he says, "You know, I never really told this story, but when Fred hit that shot at 18 uh, in the Ryder Cup, and not a very good shot into 18, and we and lost the uh, we lost the Ryder Cup, uh, had he tied the hole, we'd have won. And and he really took that tough, and and he took it upon himself that he lost that tournament, and it it hung in there with him even after the ceremony back at the at the hotel, and he's just sitting there crying and just he, he, he just beating himself up." And so I had to take him down to my room and get him away from everybody. And so I put my arm around him. I said, buddy, you know, hey, you're one of the 12. That shot didn't win or lose this tournament. You know, so don't take it on your shoulders. I mean, but this will make you a great player someday. The Ryder Cup is going to make you a better player. That experience you had at 18, that last hole is going to make you a better player. And I think that's when they kind of became t- tight-knit, and that's what he said. He said it was kind of like when Arnold Palmer, who was kind of his mentor, uh, took him under his wings. It was kind of like that with him. Uh, and if he had questions and, 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 or things that he might need, and he played a lot of practice rounds with Arnold, uh, like he did with Freddie. And he said, that's called mentorship. And he said, you know, I've been around not been around the game as much uh, lately, but I still hope that goes on today uh, because in our era, that's what they did. And it was a lot about mentorship and And he's right. There still is that you've got Tiger Woods and JT and, and that relationship. And there's several others out there that these uh, veterans take care of these younger guys. So uh, for Raymond, it, it does still exist. And I kind of asked him, you know, did that happen earlier on or later on in your career when you started helping Freddie and other people? And, and uh, he said, no, I think it was more in the Ryder cups, like with you on our Ryder cup. And you guys would come up to me and ask me things. And, and uh, you know, I, I I just like I said, I th- I hope it still happens, and, and and it does. And we would go on ask a few more questions, and and we talked about his stare, and how he's focused, and how he would get in the zone. And I said, well, describe the zone. Uh, you know, I've been in it, not as many as you, Raymond, and I kind of joked with him if we could bottle it up, we'd be zillionaires. And he said that you know the zone was like his feeling was. That his walk was lighter, it was softer, and that he could see clearly and he could see and picture a shot. It was like watching a movie and seeing the shot and then pulling back the club. He said, It's just that's what the zone in golf is, or at least it was for him. Uh, he said, I couldn't induce it, but when it was there, boy, I was focused. And I thought that was a great way of describing the zone. And, uh, you know, everybody always asks, you know, how do you describe it? I thought it was a wonderful way to describe it and the next question I asked was you know these guys are going to be faced with some tough winds and uh, how could you test and and judge the wind at amen corner I mean we asked Tom Watson similar to that and he said you know like I said like walking off 11 green and uh, he said you know all of a sudden the wind would switch and change and go in the opposite direction and he said these guys are going to have that uh, in in round in round two in the in the windy conditions and he said you know he would always look at the wind direction and find out where it was going to be like you know but round two, it was out of the west overall, and that was your prevailing wind. He said, but when you got down in the corner, it would circle, and, and that was the tricky part. He said, but it was my focus. And he said, one night I was talking uh, to Ben Hogan about it, and Ben said that's it's a champion's dinner, and he said that Ben would always look at the flag at 11 and see the way it blew at 11, and it was the reverse at 12, he said that was the effect of circling. That was so interesting to hear him say that because, as you remember earlier, when I mentioned Tom Watson said he tried to get the, uh, the direction in the same direction, the flags to go in the same direction. That's how much it swirls down there because it rarely happens. But for Ben, he waited till that moment. He said you know, one day he was playing with Arnold, and the wind was out of the west like it is today, and I looked over at Arnold, and I said, Hey, you know, Ben told me to look at the flag at eleven. And uh, if it was blowing down to the right, it was going downwind at twelve. And he said, "That's what Ben told me." Do you take any credence to that? He goes, "Absolutely right." So Arnold knew that even back then. That's why these champions have had so much success and continue to have success. Uh, it's because they know these things, things that it takes years to learn. There's only like a hundred and sixty yards difference between the holes, basically going the same direction. But the swirling winds is what the toughest part about. Next question was, you know, we talked to Rory, and we talked about Rory and his quest to win the career Grand Slam, that he was in that same kind of boat, and he wanted something so badly. And I said, you know, how did you deal with that? He goes, I don't know. Uh, you know, I got up, and I was a little bit nervous. and But it took him a little bit of that nervous to kind of get him in focused. And get his focus going. That nervousness helped him focus. He said, "But I wasn't afraid to lose." You know, Raymond said, "I wasn't afraid to lose," and that was one of the things he said that thinks that helped me. He said, when he would lose, he'd go in the media room and said, "Hey, I blew it. I didn't get it done. I didn't make the putts. You know, it wasn't my time." He said, "But you know, you see these guys get on the big stage and they can't handle losing." He said, "My feeling was the more times I got myself in opportunities to win." Most likely, the more likely I was going to win. So he said, Raymond said, I wasn't afraid of losing. And he said, That's just a big part of winning, not being afraid to lose. That was so epic. That was such a great uh, uh, answer to that question. And the last thing I asked him, he said, If there's all the memories and the thing that he's most proud of in his career, what would it be? He said, Jim, I would say it's longevity. The ability to win in four different decades is something special. I've got all the Ryder Cups, I've got the majors, and that's all important, but the longevity was what he was most proud of, and as he should be. Raymond is one of the the best as was Tom. So it was a beautiful day for me. It's going to be a lot of fun to see day 3 and how these guys handle it and see how Tiger holds up. Cold temperatures, windy conditions. It's going to be survival. It's going to be brutal out there. So uh, look forward to hearing or seeing everybody or listening to everybody out there and see how they think the golf course has played and, and watching them play. Uh, so uh, appreciate you all listening tonight, and we look forward to uh, getting back to you tomorrow, and we'll talk about day three and recap the third round of the Masters. Until then, don't forget, whether life or golf, you may have only one shot. you got to make it count. See you tomorrow.